Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. Let my people go. That's the repetition of the phrase that Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh. God said, let my people go so that they may serve me. Let my people go so that they may feast for me. Let my people go so that they may sacrifice to me. Let my people go so that they may freely worship me. The Exodus story was about freedom, but it wasn't about freedom. My mic just go out. We will fix this. Give me that. If you were here in the first service, this is a replica in the second service. Because we had mic issues then and we have mic issues now. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because I will scream if I have to without a microphone this morning. Amen? This phrase, let my people go over and over again, was a proclamation for the people to come freely worship God, but it wasn't about total liberation. When we think about freedom, that's what we think about. Let me be liberated to be, do, say whatever I want. Are we good? Whatever I want to say, let me do it. God was very clear that it was all about freedom to worship him. Exodus chapter 4, verse 3, this is what it says. It says, I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, if you are new to church or you came as a guest, even if you're not and you read this first thing this morning on Easter Sunday, you say, what is this about? Well, what are we going to talk about today? What is this? Is this like revenge? Is it retaliation? Is this an eye for an eye? What's going on here? And what's this language that God chooses to use, let my son go so that he may worship me and serve me? It's as if God is saying, hey, I'm the father. These are my children. And there's something that's going to happen in this story I want you to know about. Now, there's a big question to ask in this story the Exodus story. And that is this. How do you get a man, Pharaoh, who believes that he's a God, a demigod? I am a God on earth to listen to the God of the Israelites. How do you get a man who ruthlessly oppresses people into slavery to listen to the words of the Hebrew God? How do you get a man who killed all the firstborn Hebrew sons to listen to God's words of let my people go? And how do you get a bunch of other people to understand God, the great I am, Yahweh, commanded all of this? Welcome to Easter, and welcome to Genesis Church. We are in the never-ending story. We are in an adventure together this year. 
where we are going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so because of that, we're not hitting every book in every chapter. We're going through the stories of And the story of God has us right here in the story of Moses. And so there's a bunch of people that have been asking before Easter, how are we going to do Moses and Jesus at the same time? Just watch and see. It's about to get really, really, really good. Because it doesn't matter if we're talking about the story of the Exodus or the story of Jesus. We are all being forced always in God's story to ask this question, which story do we choose? Which story will you follow? Which story will you trust? Now, a little context to the story because we're going back into Egypt for a few moments. And so you've got pyramids and you've got pharaohs and you've got gods and goddesses and you've got miracles and you've got plagues and you've got wonders and signs. You've got slavery and oppression. You've got freedom. You've got all these things happening inside of this story. And there's a lot that's happening inside of this story that is very relatable to our story today. Now, you would immediately say, we're not building pyramids and we don't have a pharaoh. We are not, you know, captivating people and putting them in bondage and slavery. But there are many of us, if we were to wake up to the reality, we're in bondage to all types of things. We're in bondage to that paycheck, bondage to that job title. We're in bondage to that relationship that is more harmful than it is good that we need to get out of. We are in bondage to that substance. We are in bondage to that addiction that we're enslaved to that we can't break free from. You would say, but listen, we we don't have a Pharaoh, and so therefore we don't have like a a God figure in our culture. And I would would say just turn on the news because we treat a lot of politicians like that. Or we ourselves Because if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't live by any other authority but the authority of myself, then what you have declared is I choose my story and therefore I believe I am the God and the creator of all of it. And so we are forced to ask the question always, which story do we choose? Now when we look in this one today, the Exodus story, how do you get Pharaoh and Egypt and everyone to to come along and worship God freely. How how does this take place? What is it that needs to happen? In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and his brother Aaron have an interaction with Pharaoh. And this is what it says. It says, After Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast in the wilderness. They have to come back to him again because he's not wanting to listen to this. And so they say this, the God of the Hebrews, in verse 3, has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness. Someone underline that. We'll come back to that in a few moments. That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now this story, if you know of it, the purpose isn't just about freedom from slavery. There's a bunch of purposes taking place One of the purposes is this, that Pharaoh, that Egypt, that Israel, that Moses and Aaron, and all of their children and their children after them would know this, there is one God and one God alone. Listen to what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 10. 
Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and your grandson, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. This is the purpose of the whole Exodus Moses story. That not only would they all know that he alone is Lord and God, but that their children and their grandchildren would know. We say all the time at Genesis Church, our faith is a multi-generational faith. It is not just for you and for you alone. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, married or unmarried, grandmother, grandson, grandfather, granddaughter, great-grandfather, great-grandson. It is for you and those who come behind you. It is multi-generational. It is why the choices you make matter. Because the story you choose to make will have a multi-generational impact on those who come along far behind you. Every decision, every choice you make matters. Now, when you begin to unravel the story, you would ask, like, why do all these events take place? Why does all this happen? Look at Pharaoh's response to Moses and Aaron in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. He says these words, I do not know this God. I know of a lot of gods and goddesses in Egypt. I know we serve the God of the sun and the God of the river. I know that we serve the goddess of fertility and the goddess of rain. I know all these other gods and goddesses, but this God, I don't know him. And there are some of us here today, this is how we're responding to God's story. I don't know him. I'm new. I showed up because it's Easter. I went to church, but I really didn't take in any of this spiritual stuff. And so this God that you're worshiping today and the way that you're worshiping him, I don't know him. And because Pharaoh responds this way and because of the hardening of his heart, this is God's response in Exodus chapter 6. The Lord says to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. Okay. You don't believe that I alone am God? Now I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to give you different signs and wonders, Moses, to, to perform in front of Pharaoh. And he still doesn't receive it. Okay, now I'm going to bring plagues. I'm going to turn the river into blood. I'm going to bring frogs upon the land. I'm going to kick up the dust of the earth and gnats are going to swarm everywhere. I'm going to affect the livestock. I'm going to bring boils on the people. I'm going to bring hail and fire down from the sky. I'm going to bring locusts to consume everything. I'm going to blot out the sun with total darkness. And you would think, and you would have, that maybe after one or two of those, Pharaoh would say, okay, yep, I'm in. I believe and I trust now. But instead, the story tells us that he hardens his heart because he chooses his story instead of God's story. I'm amazed at how many people say, Pastor Tim, listen, if God would just give me a sign, I would be open. If God would just this miracle, if God would just perform this miracle, I would trust him and, and I would be all in on this faith. The story over and over and over again that God can perform miraculous things and people still choose to reject God's story because they want their own. 
And there are many of us here, this is how we are choosing to live our life apart from God. Look at Moses' response. I mean, Pharaoh's response to Moses. He says to him in verse 28 of chapter 10, get away from me. Take care never to leave my face, never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. His heart is now open and receptive to God. His heart is hardened and he continues to reject God. See, the posture of your heart before God can be delightful or detrimental. It can be delightful because you begin to see God at work and you receive that into your life. Or it can be detrimental because God is working and you keep rejecting it. It can be delightful for you to open your heart and receive the truth of God. Or it can be detrimental for you to harden it and block it out. And so the Lord tells Moses, Moses in Exodus chapter 11, Yet one plague more will I bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And after I bring this final plague, this tenth one, he's going to let you go. He's going to let you go free. This story, even though we're unpacking it this morning, is still hard for us to comprehend. Moses says this, thus says the Lord in Exodus chapter 11. At about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. God says on this final one, every firstborn in Egypt will be affected. And so God tells Moses, go to Israel and tell them this. On the 10th day of this month, I want you to grab a lamb. And I want this lamb to be spotless. And you're going to take this lamb and you're going to sacrifice this lamb. And he tells us in Exodus chapter 12, the blood shall be a sign for you in the sacrifice. And you should put it on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. He says back in verse 12, when I pass through Egypt that night and I strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and listen to the language, and on all the gods, why? Why is all this language in there? Man, beast, other gods, other goddesses, because I want them all to know when I execute my judgment, I am Lord and God. And there is no other. And so God commands Moses, he says, I want you to go take a hyssop branch. And I want you to collect all the blood from that slaughtered lamb. And I want you to catch it in a bowl, in a basin. And I want you to take that brush and I want you to dip it into the blood. And I want you to take that branch and I want you to paint it over the door of your house. And when you paint it over the door of your house, when the angel of God comes through, when I come down into Egypt... And I come down to strike the firstborn. If there is blood on the doorpost of your house, blood from that sacrificed lamb, I will not enter it. For when I come down and I see the blood of the lamb on the door, on this night with this plague, 
your home will find salvation. See, there's a perspective to this story. Pharaoh believes he's a god, truly. All the people in Egypt think that he is. He's one on earth. And there's some irony in the story because if he's a god who can dictate and rule however he wants, then guess who else would be a god? His son, the heir to the throne of Egypt. And if they both have these powers of a god, then they should not be vulnerable to the god of the Hebrew people. Unless they don't have the power they think they do. Unless there is a greater, more powerful, more almighty God than they have awakened themselves to. It tells us in verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and listen to this, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Why do we want to pay attention to that? Because that's how the story began. It tells us at the beginning of the story there was a great cry in Egypt that lifted up to God and God heard their cries because God listens to us. God heard their cries of oppression and slavery. God heard their cries because their firstborns were being slaughtered by Pharaoh. The story opens up with cries being lifted up to heaven. And on this night, because of Pharaoh's hardened heart, because of his decision to choose his story over all of Egypt, there's a different cry. This cry says there was not a house where someone was not dead. And Moses was to tell Israel, this night, this thing that just happened, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And listen to what their response was. Because of all this, they bowed their heads in worship. Moses says there was, there was blood, there was death, there was salvation, and the only response worthy is worship. It's interesting to note, though, that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh everyone in Egypt would be affected. With this plague, not only with the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, it says to the slave girl sitting at the handmill. I mean, it would just make sense to me that, that God would say, listen, all the Israelites would be saved and all the Egyptians would not. That would make more sense in the story. But what we begin to find out is it doesn't matter if you're Egyptian or Hebrew. What we begin to realize is that their ethnicity didn't save them. It wasn't their heritage and their lineage. It wasn't where they came from. It wasn't where they used to attend. None of that mattered. Because the Passover wasn't just an emphasis on freedom. The Passover in this story is a total emphasis on salvation. That the firstborn would be saved under God's hand, not Pharaoh's. Because there's only one God. He alone rules and reigns. And remember when we started, 
We read Exodus 4 where God said, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse, so he told him up front, if you refuse, this will be the outcome. I'm going to let you know the end of the story. And I'm going to give you 10 different chances to see a different outcome. When we look into the story, we begin to find that God is doing something different within it. And there's a different language being spoken. Because he begins to talk about all the firstborn who come under the blood of the sacrificed lamb. They're the ones that will be saved. And it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter of your staff. What matters isn't necessarily just the on the door, although that's important. What ultimately matters is that you were obedient enough to put the blood on the door. It was your action step in this faith. Because what was the command? The command was to take a lamb, a goat, and sacrifice it. Maybe you had no idea, but lambs and goats were worshipped deities in Egypt. They saw them as having these powers, and they would sacrifice to them. It's the reason why Moses says, let us leave and go three days' journey so that we can sacrifice in the wilderness. Because we know if we make this sacrifice here, how mad you're going to be in all of Egypt. There's no way we could do this abomination in Egypt. So imagine when Moses comes and says, listen, this is what God told us has to happen on the 10th and final plague. You've got to go get a lamb, and you've got to tie it up for three days. And then you have to slaughter that lamb, and then you have to take the blood of that lamb, and you have to put it over your doorhouse. Can you imagine what was going on in the mind of Pharaoh? Can you imagine what is going on in the minds of the Egyptians? Can you imagine being an Israelite knowing that when we do this, if this is what God is really asking us to do, if this is what God is really asking us to be obedient towards, here's what I know. God better do what God promised he's going to do because if not, when we wake up in the morning, we are all dead people. God was asking, who is bold enough to paint their door with a sacrifice lamb and to go inside of it and let me do my work. It was as if on this night, everyone who painted the doorframe of their house was saying this, Egypt's story stops here. This family now chooses God's story. Every choice and every decision you make matters. And every choice and every decision you make will have a long-lasting ripple effect when you are far gone from here. And on this night, there are a bunch of bold people who are saying, I choose God's story, not Pharaoh's story. Now, how does any of this get to Jesus? Paul wrote to a bunch of believers in a place called Coloss. It's called the book of Colossians. Listen to the language he uses to describe Jesus when we're talking about God being known to the world as the only God. He says, he, Jesus, we put that in there just so you know who we're talking about, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, there's that language, of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions like we find in Egypt, or rulers or authorities like Pharaoh or today. All things were created through him and for him. When Jesus is doing his ministry, he says things like this, truly, truly, I say to you, no one, unless they are born again, can enter into my kingdom. It's this concept of the firstborn finding salvation in God. All throughout the scriptures, we find a tie to Jesus and the Passover, a tie to Jesus and the rescue, a tie to Jesus and the Exodus story. The cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, when he sees him, he says these words in John chapter 4, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Mark chapter 14, we discover that Jesus is crucified at Passover. Not by chance, not by coincidence, but by intentionality. In Hebrews chapter 12, we find that he is the sinless perfect one to come be our substitute. We find all throughout scripture, like in 1 Corinthians chapter five, it describes him as the sacrifice Passover lamb. This is the title given to him. In Revelation chapter five, John sees the end of it all. He says there's no one on earth that has the authority or the power, not even someone like Pharaoh, who is worthy to open up the scroll. No one has that ability. And then I look and I saw, who did he see? Jesus. How did he describe him? As one who looked like a lamb who was slain. The writer in Hebrews says, listen, it is not the blood of goats and bulls that brings us salvation. It is the pure blood of Christ. See, when Jesus hung on the cross and he was crucified, he did so as the sacrificial lamb the entire world needed for salvation. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, he said this, knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought back because you were in captivity to your sin. He says, from your futile ways that you inherited from who? Your forefathers. Why? Because their choices might have been affecting your choices. He says, you weren't bought with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ultimately, the Passover and Jesus are inseparable. In the Passover story, we find a lamb needed to be flawless. In Jesus, we discover he's the sinless substitute who takes our place. That sacrifice of the lamb, the sacrificing of the lamb was to take place at twilight. That was the command. It says in, in the scriptures that Jesus died at the ninth hour. That was twilight. And when he did, he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. The blood markings on the door of the houses protected everyone in the house. So do all those who come under the spilled blood of Jesus. When you look at these two stories, the Passover was approved escape from Egypt. Jesus is your proved escape from eternal death. All those we find in the story that did not mark their homes or take a lamb were struck down. Listen to me clearly this morning. 
all those who do not come under Jesus and remain outside of him will have the same fate and outcome when he returns for all of his people. When we look in this story, listen to me, this is the cool part. Moses was the rescuer for Israel and God's continued promise. Jesus is your ultimate rescuer and it is God's fulfillment of that promise. The Exodus story is a story of your spiritual story. Jesus is the reminder of our spiritual destiny. It's the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3 when sin arrived. And it's the covenant that came alive in Abraham that was given to his son Isaac, that was passed down to Jacob, preserved with Joseph, being preserved with Moses, so that when Jesus arrived, the whole world will know that God does what he says he's going to do. He will always come through with his promise because he is a faithful God who continues to work today the same. But the story of God has to be a story you choose. This same God who promised to bring a Savior to the world allow us to experience it, learn about it, and discover it. Because the story tells us that three days after this sacrificial lamb was hung on a cross and died and was put in a tomb, it tells us that a bunch of people went running to the tomb, and on that morning that they got up, there was a great earthquake, more signs and wonders of God. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women there, don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. But he's not here. He's risen. Just as he said. God told Moses, this is what I say to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Moses chose to reject the words and promise of God. Jesus said, listen, you were told at the beginning of this never-ending story about this promised Savior for the world that would come feet and conquer the consequence of sin in your life. Just as he said. As we close, let's go back to the story. Because on that night, the story tells us that God told all of Israel, once you paint the blood on the door, go into the door and stay there. Do not come out of your house till morning. Because when I come through Egypt and the, the destroyer passes over your home, the destroyer will not enter your home. Because when you go into your house, covered by the blood of the lamb, you will be watching. You will be watching in awe and wonder. You will be hearing all the cries, but you will know, you will know that night that I alone am the Lord, your God. And if you stay inside that door, behind the blood of that sacrificed lamb, 
you'll be saved. Jesus said these words, I am the door. I'm the door of all the sheep. And if anyone enters into the door, enters into me, comes into my story, he shall be saved. The people who entered the door on that night were rescued from God's wrath and the final plague. Jesus said, all those who come to me, me alone, there is no other way, will be forever, eternally saved from the judgment and wrath when God returns. Today, I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. At the very beginning, I told you both stories ask the same question. Which story do you choose? Some of you walked in here today and you've been choosing your story. You've been choosing your way, your path, the thing that you want to see happen. And God is saying, listen, you can try to be God of your own life or you can come, come enter the door of salvation. Enter into me and let me enter into you. And in my story, you will find a new life. You will find a new path. You will find a new beginning. You will find a new hope. You will find a new start. You will find the greatest adventure awaiting you that you can't find in any other place. Most importantly, you will find salvation for your soul. And there's nothing in this world that can give it to you except me. For I alone am God. The scriptures are very clear that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Ourselves, our sin that separates us eternally from God, our own path, our own story. They tell us that if we confess with our mouth, God, literally, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, my Savior. And we believe in our heart that God's story is the best story that what he promised to do, he has done. What happened through Jesus really did happen. He is alive today, and I put my faith and trust in that story. You will find everlasting life. And so this morning, I'm going to ask all of our pastors, elders, life groups, if they will come forward. There are some of you here today that God wanted specifically here for this moment because he's telling you, listen, you were brought here today so that you could hear my story, that you would come under my blood. You would come find salvation in me and no other place. And it would be really easy just to stay there. He didn't ask the Israelites to do anything easy. He said, take the lamb, slaughter the lamb, put it all over your house. Let all of Egypt know you choose God's story. And so this morning, our team's going to come. We have people who would love to pray with you. We invite you to come. Come take your hand, put it in their hand, and let them know today I choose God's story. Today I come back to God's story. Today I want God's story. Today I believe God's story is the best story ever, and I want to enter into it 
today. Father, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit of God, move in people's lives today. May we forever, ever think about the choice we make and the story we choose to follow matters. And every choice we make has a ripple effect for our children, our grandchildren, and the children we might never meet. God, we want your story to be told for ages. The one that declares there is but one God and one God alone. 